The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. I want to thank you so much for lifting your voices with us this morning. Um, I'm excited about this morning, and uh, before, we, before we actually get into the text, I, I did want to do a couple housekeeping items. Uh, first, just real quickly, on the weekly this week, I made reference to a book. It was this one, and um, uh, actually, in all honesty, both of these are spoken for. And I realized that two was too small of a number, and I'd love to get this into your hands. So if you have interest and you would like these, I have more. So please let me know, and, and I would love to give you one of these books. If you don't get the weekly, it's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And the reason that this book I think is timely right now is because it talks about the idea of Christian hospitality and uh, a pandemic makes that very difficult, but it is, nece- it is a necessity. We have to do it. It's, it's our call to do it. So the question, that, and the reason I want to put this into our hands is so that we can think creatively about how we can do this, how we can do this even in the midst of COVID-19. So if you want one, please come and get it. Um, or let me know. I have some extras I'd love to give you. Uh, the second thing, real, real briefly, is I'd like to invite you into something. Um, I love our church, and I have never been more excited about where we're going. We have gone through, just like all of us, some, some of the craziest, craziest time, craziest season, and I know that. I know that. And, and as a church, though, as we've thought about how the Lord has brought us through, we are so grateful for what he is doing. And um, I want to ask you actually to join us in prayer for something. Um, through this process, we lost kind of our, uh, our location, our main location as a church. We lost uh, where we typically meet. And, um, th- and through, through it all, God has provided. We're so grateful for this place. But, but here's the reality. One of the biggest things that we face as a church right now is finding um, a way to get back kind of into our community a little bit and to find a space that we can kind of grow in and, and have our ministries kind of clicking uh, all, all, all on board again. And so um, right now, we're laying the groundwork for that, for that process. We have a team right now that is dedicated to finding our location, our next location. And um, they're working, um, scouring all the leads that we can possibly find in our community. So here's what I want to ask of you. Here's the reason I bring it up. Um, I need two things from you. Number one, and I don't say this lightly, I need you to join us in prayer. Uh, here's the reality. When we come through a season like COVID where, where uh, gatherings are either discouraged or in some cases forbidden, uh, now as we're kind of coming through this, looking for places to gather people is very difficult. We need God to go before us. So I want to ask you, I want to, and I don't just say this lightly, like I, I really mean this, we need prayer warriors. We need to come together in prayer that God would open the doors for us to be able to walk through. Um, So pray with us. The second thing, real briefly, is if you do have any leads, if you do have anything you'd like to share or any ideas 
Um, I'd love to connect you with our team who is right now scouring the land, all right? So the way you can do that is if you're here in person, you can come find me, come find any of our elders. We will connect you. If you're uh, joining us online and, and right now you say, oh, oh, I, I have an idea, uh, you can go to elders at stoneoakbible.com. Um, email us and, and we'll get that information to the right place, okay? And uh, again, I cannot wait to see what God's going to do. I cannot wait. Um, all right. That's all I got. Now we get to get to work. I hope you're doing well this morning. Um, I noticed right as we started that I left my coffee up here, and I was sad this whole time, so I'm, I'm glad to be reunited. Um, it's the little things. It's the little things. All right. So uh, we've got a lot of ground to cover this morning. Uh, we're, we're actually, we're only going to be camped in three short verses. So... Um, um, just three short verses this morning. Uh, by the way, you should have one of these on your chair or around you. If not, someone stole it from you. Just hang on to this for later. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to this one uh, for, for at the end. Um, okay, so last week we started into chapter 8. We talked about the, the most, some of the most significant lies that the enemy can tell you. And, and we looked at, at some of the most dangerous lies, and, and then what Paul began to lay before us are two different paths. We had two different paths. One is the flesh, the other is the spirit. So Paul kind of lays this out. And so on this side, we have the flesh, and, and where we set our minds on the things of the flesh, and, and as we do this, it leads to death. And then over here on the other side, Paul says, we have this side, and this is I didn't do that, did I? Someone throw a mic at me? Um, I'm just going to leave it. Um, and over on this side, we have the Spirit, and where we set our minds on things of the Spirit. And, and when we do that, Paul says it leads us to life and peace. And so what Paul is doing here is he's showing us what the Christian life is. He's showing us which path the Christian life is on, um, that it is the life in the Spirit, as Paul says. And so, as we continue in our text, Paul is going to continue us in this, and, and he's going to speak now. Here's what happens. He narrows his target a little bit, and he is going to speak directly to you who would say, I am in Christ. This morning, Paul's words are going to be spoken directly to to you. So as we read this, as we walk through this together, if you are a child of God, if you say, yes, I have responded to the gospel. Yes, I am in Christ. Yes, that is me. Um, this text, in so many ways, is Paul looking you directly in the eyes. Looking at you directly eye to eye. He's just looking at you, and, and, and he says these beautiful words. And so I'd like to look. We're going to be in verse 9. In verse 9 um, of chapter 8, Paul says, You, however, it's this contrast word. It's this, uh, it's this contrast word, meaning you are not like those who came before. You, however, are different. You are, however, are different. Paul is contrasting. So what is he contrasting? What is that? Well, well we need to look what came before. If you look at verse 7. It says, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And then he says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those who are in the flesh, those who 
set their minds on the flesh, on the things of the world, they do not and they cannot please God. You, however, it's a contrast. There's a contrast. As we looked last week, one of the most common lies of our enemy is is to get you to believe that you can please your God apart from Jesus. That you can do enough, that you can be good enough, that that you can be good enough on your own apart from Jesus. And scripture is clear, you cannot. You cannot, you cannot please God apart from Jesus. And the enemy would want nothing more for, the, for you to just kind of spin those wheels. If you've ever gotten a car stuck, the more you spin, the deeper you get. You, you, the enemy would want nothing more than for you to spin your wheels, sinking deeper and deeper and chasing this life and all that this life and the flesh has to offer, spinning your wheels, trying to be good and to make good choices. And, and, um, in other words, just as we get into this, the enemy's greatest plan sometimes to destroy you is not to bring you to a place of utter destruction where you hit rock bottom. I firmly believe that sometimes the greatest tactic of the enemy is to give you a little bit of success, to give you just a little bit of comfort, to give you just a little bit of what you're looking for, to think that you are successful so that you can start spinning those wheels in the flesh, that you can start spinning those wheels thinking you got it, you're doing it, you're killing it, and never turning to Jesus. But as we've seen, Paul says it's impossible to please our God in the flesh. So what Paul is doing is contrasting. He's saying, you, however, Christian, are not like that. You, however, Paul says, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. So we got the two paths. Remember, we have flesh, spirit. We saw this in verses, I'm just going to read it, five and six. It says, for those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the spirit set their minds on things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. To set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. There's this Huge contrast here between these two paths. And Paul says, on this side in the flesh, you cannot please God. It is impossible. But, brothers and sisters, Paul reminds you that, that you, however, are in Christ. That you are not on that path. You're on a new path. You are what Paul says, in the Spirit. In the Spirit. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Now, um, As we work through this text, I want to lay some groundwork for us for what's ahead. Paul is about to make um, some statements about you. And each one of these statements is going to start with, in your, probably in your English translation, a two-letter word, if. If. You're going to see three if statements. And as you see this word here. Um, some of your translations, by the way, might have something different. Um, but chances are it's going to use this word if. And, and I actually, I don't love the word if when it's alone. Um, the ESV, which is, which is what I used to preach from, I love the ESV, it doesn't allow the first if to be alone. If you notice, it says if in fact. So it, it doesn't leave that if alone. Because I think when the if is alone, it's, it's dangerous. Because what it leads you to think is that it's completely conditional. Just completely, if this, then this. Like, 
if, if. It's, it's like this completely undecided, up in the air, conditional statement when the, the Greek word here is not that way. It's not that way. This, um, this is why in the ESV, like I said, it follows it with if, in fact. Why does it do that? Because the word if is a bit puny. It leaves too much up in the air. It's not this conditional what if. In fact, I, I think that a better way to think about this word is, is borderline the word sense. It's a since this is true, if this is true, which it is, then uh, let me give you an example to see this. So um, if I were, I, as a parent, if I were to say to one of my boys, or all of my boys, any of them, if, if you made your bed, you can go outside and play. If you made your bed, you can go outside and play. It's purely a conditional statement. It's like, if this, then you can do this. Uh, I'm basically tell them, hey kids, dad needs you to make your bed. When you make your bed, then you can go outside. That's what I'm, I'm basically telling them. Now, um, and that, that's also the opposite is true here, that if you don't make your bed, what's true? You don't go outside, right? It's, it's an if, it's this conditional statement. Now, compare that to where if I were to say, hey, hey, since you made your bed, go outside. If in fact you made your bed, go outside. What, what is different here? What, what, what is different here? It's the same word, but it's, just, it's got this different connotation to it. It's got this different tone here. It's, 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 uh, it carries with it a little more. And now you, you think, why does that matter, Pastor? I believe it does because it changes tone quite a bit. It changes tone. So if we go back to the first example, son, if you make your bed, you can go outside. I am putting the emphasis on my kids making their bed. And I'm dangling a carrot saying, if you do, then you go outside, Right? I'm dangling the carrot to get them to do what I need them to do. But my focus is what? My focus is on them making their bed. That's what my focus is as a parent when I say that. But when I say, son, if in fact, since you made your bed, go outside and enjoy yourself. It is a different tone, church. It's a completely different tone. It's no longer that I'm using this carrot to say, go do this so you can go outside. That's not what I'm doing. Now, what I'm doing is I am focusing not on the bed being made, but I'm focusing on the joy of going outside. It's different. It's a different tone. This little if word is is important. The tone changes. And I believe Paul's tone here is important. Paul is talking to those who are in Christ. You, however, are in Christ. The bed's made. Then he says, brothers and sisters, you are in the Spirit, since in fact these things are true about you. So when we walk through these things, church, as we walk through these things, these things are true about you if, in fact, you are in Christ. That's the tone Paul wants to, to give. You, however, you are in Christ. Since that's true, then these statements are true about you. And here's what that does. It's going to cause two things. Number, number one, it's going to cause us to be strengthened and encouraged 
because we're going to see what is true about us. And then number two, if you're here and you have not yet placed your faith in Jesus, this is going to be a straight up invitation to come into this. Listen to what Paul says. You, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Now here is statement number one. If, in fact, if, since, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of God, the uh, Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So since, or you are in the Spirit, since the very Spirit of God dwells in you. All right. This statement right here might be hard for us to fully take in. And here's why. You're spoiled. Let me tell you what I mean. Let's think about two things. You're spoiled. This statement doesn't have the same oomph as it should because we're spoiled. And we see this when we look at two places. First, let's look at the Old Testament saints. The Old Testament saints. Faith looked a little different for the, uh, uh, the life of faith looked a little different for the Old Testament saints. Uh, think about this. They believed in Yahweh. They were given prophets who would speak to them on behalf of Yahweh. They were given priests who would intercede for them on behalf, or go to them on, uh, go to Yahweh on their behalf. They were given a temple, a physical place where, where, where God's presence would dwell. Church, that is not what we have in Christ today. Paul says, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Church, in Christ, Yahweh now speaks directly to his people. In Christ, God, Yahweh speaks directly to his people through his word and through his spirit in Christ. Now Christ intercedes on your behalf. And, and we are invited to come to our God directly. That would have been absurd for an Old Testament saint. You were invited to come to your God directly. You no longer need a mediator, another mediator, because Jesus Christ is your mediator. In Christ, there is now no longer some physical temple that we have to go to and say, that's where God dwells. No, no more. Because in Christ now... The Spirit of God dwells in you. Dwells in you. This is incredible. You have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. Do you, do you know that? <laughs> do you know that this morning? Let's look one more place. New Testament saints. I want you to think about this scene, specifically in the Gospels. Jesus, the Son of God in the flesh, around his disciples, and I often dream about scenes like this, like what would it have been like to walk with him? And, and it's in one of these scenes that Jesus starts talking to them and is depressing them because he's talking about his upcoming death and they're getting, technical word, bummed out about that. And uh, as they should have been, as I would have been. 
And then do you remember what Jesus says in the midst of their sadness about Jesus about to give his, his life? Jesus says this in John 16, 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. <laughs> Why? For if I do not go away, the helper won't come to you, but if I go, I'm going to send him to you. So back up, Jesus. Like, it's to our advantage. Like, how could that be? You're here. You're, you're, you're right there. How could it be to our advantage? Jesus says, because the Spirit is coming. Jesus said, it is better. It is going to be better. It's going to be better for you that I leave because the Spirit is coming, the Helper is coming, and in me you will be indwelled. Why did, I, why did I share these examples? Because when Paul says the Spirit of God dwells in you, when Paul says this, we need to actually wrap our minds around how incredible of a statement that really is. I think far too many of us are content living Old Testament saint lives. As if that's an option. It's not. Where we come to some special sacred place because we don't have the spirit in us. When we do everything on our own flesh because we don't have the spirit within us. And, and scripture says this is not what the Christian life looks like today. You are indwelled by the spirit of God. That means you are not alone. You are never alone. You are not powerless. You are never powerless. You are indwelled by the Spirit of God, meaning you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Your body is the temple of God, the dwelling place of God. That means that the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the joy, the life, the peace are in you, in Him. It's all in you because He is in you. Like that. That's the truth about you in Jesus. And the enemy wants you to think you're alone powerless, and it's all up to you, and it's all about you. But the Spirit of God, Paul says, dwells in you. And if you're maybe hearing this and you're wondering, well, I don't know if that's really true about me. Listen to what Paul says. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So I want you to follow the logic with me here. If you believe in Jesus, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, if you've confessed him to be Christ, responded to the gospel, here's what scripture says about you. You are in Christ. You are in Christ. And then Paul says, since you are in fact in Christ, the spirit of Christ now dwells in you. So in Christ, for those for those in Christ, the question is not, does the spirit of God dwell in me? That's not the question. Church, the question is this. Have you believed the enemy's lie? Have you ignored or denied the spirit? Have you believed you're alone and powerless? Listen to Paul's reminder. The spirit of God dwells in you. Dwells in you. Can you imagine if the people of God, the church, the children of God, would all in this moment just wake up to that fact? It would, I don't want to say this lightly, it would change the world. 
It would change the world. Um, can you imagine if all of us here at Stone Oak Bible Church would in this moment believe and know that to be the truth? That we are dwelled by the Spirit of God. If we believed this, it would change everything. I want to continue to the second statement. Uh, the second statement, Paul says this, but if, here's our second if statement. <clears throat> if since Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. So I love the honesty of, of, of scripture. Here's the reality. Some of you might in this moment be wrestling with something. You might be wrestling with this fact that, Pastor, okay, that sounds awesome. I get it. That sounds great. Uh, But I know me, and I'm not awesome. (laughs) I'm not some temple. Like, I'm a sinner. I know me. I'm not always the best dwelling place. I don't feel the presence of the Spirit right now, His power, His comfort, His peace, His joy. I don't necessarily right now see the fruits or the gifts. What is going on? Am I broken? Is it just me? Am I doing it wrong? Have you ever been there? Paul says and speaks directly. Remember, remember what I said. This is, this section is where Paul takes you, grabs you by the face and looks directly into your eye and says, brother, sister, this is what he says to you. If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. There's, there's two parts of this. The first part is that the body, the flesh is dead because of sin. So in other words, all those feelings you feel, all of them, all the the feelings that you're feeling are legitimate. (laughs) They are legitimate because the flesh is, is dead. You are a fallen human. You are not perfect. You live in a fallen world. Heavenly perfection is not yet, not Yet, and so as you experience, by, by the way, it will be one day when you see Jesus face to face, we will experience the perfection that we all long for. But right now, and, and, and so to be indwelled by the Spirit of God does not, it cannot mean that perfection is all of a sudden here. I'm not talking about Christian perfectionism. Not yet, church. We are being perfected through him, yes, but we are not perfect yet. That's the first part of this. That's the Genesis 3, we are fallen part. But we can't ignore the second part. The second part of this is this. The spirit is life because of righteousness. Now, don't misunderstand this. It's not yours. It's not your righteousness that, that Paul is talking about here. It's not yours. In fact, he's referencing back to verses 3 and 4 that, that say God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his son Jesus in the likeness of sinful flesh for our sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. In other words, the righteousness here, church, is not yours. 
The righteousness here has never been yours. The righteousness here in this text is Jesus Christ's righteousness on your behalf. Christ's goodness, Christ's holiness credited to you. So when Paul says the spirit is life because of righteousness, what he is saying is that the spirit is life in you because of Christ's righteousness, not your own. So let me just say this again. When you feel like, pastor, I hear you, but I'm just, I I stink sometimes. I, I just can't do it. You're, in one sense, you are absolutely right. You are absolutely right. You cannot do it. Yet, in another sense, church, you need to understand what the good news of the gospel says about you. That Jesus is good, perfect, and he did what you cannot do. And now in Christ, his spirit dwells in you, and his righteousness is yours, credited to you. Life is yours. So Paul reminds us, look, the spirit dwells in you, and the spirit is life. Because even though you live, church, in a fallen world, even though you're not perfect, Christ's perfection His perfect life dwells in you. So after hearing that, you might still be unsatisfied with something. You might hear this and think, well, okay, pastor, that sounds good and everything, but but you are talking up here. Like, you're up here. Like, what does that mean for me today, practically, on the ground? What does that mean? You say in Christ that, that we are in Christ. The Spirit dwells in me. The Spirit is life. I, okay. But I'm still here in all of my warts and all of my struggles. What now? I'm really glad you asked that, church, because Paul has one more statement to give us. One more if statement. Listen to this, verse 11. If, since the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. That one is too good to read once. So let me read this again. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies to the spirit who dwells in you. That is so incredible. Uh, Paul, right here, just gets really practical. He gets incredibly practical. He reminds us, hey, Jesus beat death. He beat death. Jesus predicted his own death and resurrection. And then he did it. Like, that is just power beyond description. And the crazy thing is, that's a historical fact. Like, we're not basing our faith on on fluffy clouds up here. This is This really, truly happened. He resurrected from death to life. And when a man says, I will be crucified, and on the third day, I will get up, and he does it, (laughs) this is our Savior. And Paul now says, hey, church, that same power, 
that same power that was beyond, that's beyond description, dwells in you. And here is the promise. He who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies who, uh, through his spirit who dwells in you. That same spirit will give you life. And I don't want you to get this wrong here. I'm not talking about heaven for later. I'm not talking about life eternally, although that's awesome. Praise God for that. But that's not what Paul's talking about. What does Paul say? He says, give life to your bodies, not your resurrected bodies later, not your heavenly bodies later. What does Paul say? Your mortal bodies. That's today. That's the, if you hold out your arm and you do this, that's that. How cool is that? It doesn't get more practical than that. This is not up here. It's here. Your mortal body is your fallen human body with all your weaknesses and your flesh and all of it. And and Paul says God's spirit dwells in that. Giving you life, power, gifts, fruits. Spirit of God is working in and through you in Christ. And and this is not a glimpse of the Christian life that is reserved for some crazy elite Christians. This is the Christian life. This is the Christian life. The Christian life is the spirit-indwelled life. There is no other path. There's life in the flesh and life in the spirit. And for us who are in Christ, we are in the spirit. And that means that the Christian life is the spirit indwelled life. This is true about you. The creator of all things, the God of the universe, loves you, demonstrated his love for you by sending his son who came for you, who gave himself for you. He conquered the sin that conquered us and he rose from the dead. And the king of kings did not leave you for later. He sent a spirit to be with you, to give you hope, peace, life, power. Now, um, this, what I have just talked about, is not the common popular understanding of what Christianity is in our world right now. I want to I show you something. Um, a few years ago, there was a massive study that was done. Um, it targeted American teenagers, uh, it was done several years ago. So I, I believe it's the millennials. This was kind of the millennial study for millennials and Christianity. Um, I will propose that it is far bigger than millennials. I think this puts the pulse on American Christianity as a whole. Um, but this book was called Soul Searching, The Religious and Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers. And uh, it was by uh, sociologist Christian Smith. And in this book, he works with a team. It wasn't just him, but they coined a new term that described the American religion, Christian religion, theists in America, all right? And they, they, they gave it a definition, and this term has taken root. It, the term is moralistic therapeutic deism. It's a good word, isn't it? It's actually three words, but you hyphenate it, it's one. Moralistic, therapeutic, deism. 
They said that when someone in our culture says, I am a Christian, chances are a large percentage of them are this. So what is this? Let me define it the way they defined it. It is built on five core truths. Number one, God exists. That's a good one. God exists. He created, ordered the world, he's, and he's watching over his world. God exists. Yay and amen, right? Tenet number two, God wants people to be good, fair, and nice to each other. Yeah, okay. As taught in the Bible, and by most other world religions, might I add. That's number two. Number three, the central goal of life is to be happy. To feel good about oneself. Number four, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to maybe resolve a problem or something. He's like that quick call a doc kind of thing. Um, But by and large, he doesn't need to be like particularly all up in our business to accomplish your happiness, which is the goal according to this. Okay, that's number four. Number five, good people go to heaven when they die. All right. So according to this study, American Christianity, the vast majority of American millennials, but not just millennials, um, fall into this bucket right here. So I try to do my best to summarize it. Um, There is a God. He wants us to be good and happy. He's there if needed, but we do our best, and those who do their best like us go to heaven. Is that cool? That, that summarizes it. Moralistic, therapeutic, deism. I have some really good news for you, church. The gospel is so much better than this. This lie just seeks to make the gospel so puny. Distorted and puny is a good word. And Paul has given us such a more robust and full picture of what the Christian life is. And here's the contrast. I mean, yeah, there is a God. We believe that. This is the line of this that I'm, I'm rocking with, okay? They had me at point one. There is a God. Um, He wants us to be good and happy. I think it's better to say because he knows we aren't happy, we aren't good, and we aren't well behaved and fair and nice to each other, that he sent Jesus. That he sent Jesus to be righteousness on our behalf. And, And hear me, the central point of life is to make much of Jesus and to glorify him, not to make much of you. The most miserable life on the planet is the one where you're the center. Why is that? Because you aren't created to be the center. The more we pursue ourselves as a center, the more miserable we become. Take a look around. Not in this room. I'm not insulting you guys. Just take a look around, right? 
as a culture. We're obsessed with this. And yet we're unhappy and we're miserable. Why is that? Because we're not meant to be the center of the universe. We're not meant to be. And here's the most crazy contrast, I think, to moralistic therapeutic deism that we saw in our text today. God is not only involved in our lives, but he indwells us. We walk with him moment by moment, daily. In him, we live and move and have our being. And lastly, in contrast to moralistic, therapeutic deism, Paul reminds us there is no one good, not one, and that the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. What a contrast this is to the true gospel. And why did I bring this up today? I bring this up specifically because too many have believed a lesser version of the gospel. And when we talk about Christianity, and there might be some that say, amen, and think that, moralistic therapeutic deism, who are thinking that and not thinking the true gospel. There are far too many who believe the lie that they can take Christianity without the Spirit. That option doesn't exist, church. Those in Christ are indwelled by the Spirit. And this book just reveals this, but here's my, here's my, uh, my thought, though. This book by Christian Smith, we didn't need it to tell us that. He just gave us good verbiage for it. We knew this. We feel this. We see this. We experience this. And in, in Romans chapter 8, Paul is telling us what the Christian life is and that we are in Christ, we are indwelled by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, and life in Christ is life in the Spirit. And I want to close by moving this kind of close to home. Um, I know this season has just been crazy uncertainty. It really has been. It's been unstable there's been division. It's just been crazy. I mean, I'm looking right here at my mask, and how is it that this could have become a, a symbol of division? Like, it's crazy. Uh, you, have, you have some who refuse to put one on, and some who refuse to take it off, and refuse to talk to each other about it, and it's just wild. It's, it's wild, and, and we don't know what's going to happen. We don't. We don't know, um, not to mention our careers, our, our futures. We're, we're here and we're, we're facing this uncertainty together. We can't really plan long term these days. We're just kind of racking our minds around that. Um, it, here's the reason I say this. The last thing I want you to do is to hear this and to say yes and amen, yes, and then go to work on Monday or life on Monday. Put that down and step right back into moralistic therapeutic deism. Because chances are, when you hear this, you think, yeah, I want that. That's the gospel we're in. That's the church we are. But then there's a temptation to close this and to kind of go the way of the world on Monday. And the last thing I want to happen is to talk about life in the spirit today and then to go out tomorrow and forget you're indwelled and to live, try to live on your flesh tomorrow when in fact 
the Spirit of God dwells in you. Not in this place when you come on Sunday, but in you, in Christ. Do we believe that? Uh, Paul is looking us directly in the eye, speaking to us, and in the midst of everything we face, here's what he says. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of Christ's righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Here's my challenge for you this week. I want to invite you to read this over yourself. Not just here today, but in the real world tomorrow and Tuesday especially Wednesday. And, and go ahead and add Thursday and then Friday and then do it again on Saturday to get you ready to come in here and let's do it again next Sunday. I want to challenge you to read this over yourself. It's so short. You just, I want to challenge you to allow Paul to grab you by the face and say these words to you. And so to help you do that, if you're here in the room, I put a lot of these on chairs. I think we, we may have ran out. I haven't printed anything on paper in a year. So I feel kind of nostalgic right now holding this. But there should be one of these on the chair. And all this is is just Paul's words to you. There's nothing crazy about this. It's just Paul's words to you. If you're here and you don't have one in your chair because someone stole yours, or if we ran out, or if you're watching this online, we have it ready for you here. So you can get a digital copy, um, just a reminder, and it just looks just like that, all right? And it'll just, you can print it, you can do whatever you want with it. Um, but here's, here's, here's the reality. We just want to remind ourselves daily who we are in Christ. That's it. What he, know who we are, what he has done, that he is here with us. So I want to challenge you, would you read this over yourself? By the way, if you have kids, read it together. Read it together.